You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, this is Lacey Hannon. We don't usually do personal here, but I would like to thank you for bearing with us over the last few months. Our lovely producer, Rachel Emerson, stepped in to fill my shoes when our family was in the weeds. Alexander Wynn, your host of the first season, and my husband, lost his mom this past fall. If you've ever encountered the Rose Queen in our game Terra Genesis, you'll have seen her likeness and probably have a good sense of her vibe. We appreciate your patience during our loss and the overwhelm that followed. Now that things have settled down, I'll be back to walk you through the stars around us. Happy 2023, and welcome back. Welcome to Settle the Stars. Many of the constellations in the Perseus family are based on characters that feature in Perseus's storyline, and Andromeda is no exception. As his wife and the mother of his children, she is more closely linked to Perseus than any of them. In addition to her mother, Queen Cassiopeia, Andromeda's father, King Cepheus, also appears as a constellation in the Perseus family. Her parents were actually directly responsible for the incident that brought her and Perseus together. Though, incident will probably seem too small a word when you find out what actually happened. The story of Andromeda is thought to be the inspiration for the knight rescuing a princess from a dragon motif that was a common subject of art and literature during the Middle Ages, most notably in the tale of Saint George and the Dragon. Though popularized as a white character in Renaissance art, as was the case with many other non-white historical and literary figures, Andromeda was actually the princess of Ethiopia and was portrayed as a black character in early literature that concerned her mythology. During the time of ancient Greece, Ethiopia referred to a greater territory than that covered by its modern-day counterpart, and included the eastern coastline. And it is there that Andromeda's story begins. Andromeda's mother, the queen, was all too fond of her own beauty, and she wasn't about to keep that opinion to herself. Cassiopeia would have loved the age of social media, in fact, where she could run her own Instagram and have her own platform from which to boast of her looks. But the lack of internet didn't stop her from making sure everyone in ancient Greece knew that she and her daughter were the most beautiful women in the world. The queen's boasting seemed particularly directed at the 50 sea nymphs known as the Nereids, among whom you could find Amphitrite, the wife of Poseidon, and Thetis, a goddess and mother to Achilles. The Nereids, of course, did not take Cassiopeia's boasting well. Before things could get too out of control, Poseidon decided he would calm the situation down by sending the enormous sea beast known as Cetus to attack the coast of Cepheus's kingdom, devouring hapless sunbathers and flooding the land with seawater. Cepheus consulted the oracle of Amon for guidance on what seemed to be a hopeless situation. 
he was told he could only stop the attack by sacrificing his daughter to the beast. So Andromeda's parents did the only sensible thing they could do and chained her to a rock beside the sea to await her fate. Meanwhile, the hero Perseus was just returning from slaying that adversary with the serpenty dew, Medusa, in the cave where she dwelled with her two Gorgon sisters, way far away somewhere at the end of the world. Perseus's journey back home to the Greek island Seriphos took him over Africa, where he had a brief run-in with a titan Atlas that didn't go so well. He ended up having to use the old severed head in his bag to turn his towering opponent into a mountainous block of stone, hence the Atlas Mountains of North Africa. After close calls with first a Gorgon and then a Titan, Perseus surely just wanted to get home already and put up his winged sandaled feet. But as he was flying by the coast of Ethiopia, he saw a beautiful woman chained to a rock and instantly fell smitten. He told himself no more monster slang until he'd dropped off Medusa's head and gotten some proper rest. But what's a hero to do when it's love at first sight? Some accounts say Perseus used the diamond sword he'd been given by Zeus to slay Poseidon's pet as it rose from the depths to claim Andromeda, with one 12th century retelling quite dramatically finding Perseus swallowed by the beast and having to slash his way out from within. But the earliest accounts all see him brandishing Medusa's head to turn Cetus to stone right there beside the coast. More recent portrayals, especially those found in cinema, like to pair Perseus with Pegasus for the dramatic rescue. But that's just silly. Since we all know Pegasus was busy frolicking with mountain nymphs while all this was going on. With Poseidon's monster defeated and both Andromeda and her father's kingdom out of harm's way, Perseus asked the king for her hand in marriage. Cepheus gladly agreed, and the scene was set for a wedding. Unbeknownst to Perseus, however, Andromeda had already been promised to her uncle Phineas, who was looking to position himself to one day take over the kingdom. Perhaps not realizing he was dealing with the guy who had just slain a gorgon, a titan, and a city-sized sea monster, Phineas went after Perseus with his spear mid-ceremony, proclaiming that neither Zeus nor his fancy winged sandals would save him from his wrath now. Ovid's Metamorphosis, Book 5, Verses 1-10 through 10. The king stood up for Perseus, telling Phineas he could have dealt with that sea monster himself if Andromeda meant so much to him. But he hadn't. Not to be dissuaded, Phineas hurled his spear at Perseus, missing and striking a bench behind him instead. When Perseus took up the spear himself, Phineas hid behind an altar, and the throw accidentally struck one of Phineas's friends. When the stunned man removed the spear from his chest, a ridiculous spray of blood fountained over the feast tables like in some over-the-top samurai movie, and a full-scale brawl broke out in the royal hall. The epic poets clearly were not known for their subtlety. Athena dropped in with her shield to protect Perseus from the flying spears, and 200 verses of brutal close-quarters combat later, the besieged hero finally had had enough and warned all who were friends to avert their gazes so he could flash the head of Medusa around the hall. He sure got a lot of mileage out of that thing. Andromeda and Perseus were finally wed once the carnage was cleared, and the two returned to his home island of Seraphus. Upon their arrival, 
Perseus freed his mother from the bonds of her undesired betrothal to King Polydectes, with a little help from a certain severed gorgon head. Then he instated the king's brother, a poor fisherman named Dictes, as Seraphis's new king. From there, Andromeda and Perseus traveled with his mother to Argos, where she had grown up. This might not have been the best idea since there was a prophecy that said Perseus would one day kill his father, Acrisius, who was currently sitting on Argos's throne. Despite taking every precaution not to kill his grandfather, prophecies are prophecies for a reason, and Perseus accidentally took out Acrisius with an errant discus throw. This technically made Perseus and Andromeda the new king and queen of Argos, but feeling a little weird about how their appointment to the throne had come about, Perseus decided to swap kingdoms with his cousin Megapenthes, which was apparently as easy as trading baseball cards, and he and Andromeda became the new king and queen of Tyrans instead. Andromeda and Perseus had seven sons and two daughters together. Among their descendants were Perses, whom the Greeks believed to be the ancestor of the Persians, and a little demigod you probably know by the name of Hercules. As Perseus was favored by Athena, the goddess placed both husband and wife among the stars when their time on Earth had come to an end. In her place in the heavens, Andromeda is surrounded by Perseus, Cassiopeia, Pegasus, Triangulum, and the fish Pisces. It's a crowded region of the sky as far as constellations go with only so many stars to go around. Perhaps more so than any other constellation, Andromeda's stars have been in jeopardy of being assigned to others over the years. In 1787, the German astronomer Johann Bode proposed a new constellation he called Gloria Frederici, or Frederick's Glory, in honor of the passing of King Frederick II of Prussia. Bode's proposed constellation took the shape of a crown sitting atop a sword that was bound with a quill pen and an olive branch. It was made up of 26 stars from Andromeda, 9 from Lacerta, 6 from Cepheus, 5 from Pegasus, and 3 from Cassiopeia, in addition to 27 others not belonging to any constellation. To the relief of Andromeda admirers, Frederick's glory never caught on. It was a nice try, Johan, but sometimes you can't force a constellation into happening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities, like New Orleans, 
Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. For a long time, Andromeda's brightest star, Alpharetz, was considered part of Pegasus as well and went by both Alpha Andromedae and Delta Pegasi before being assigned strictly to Andromeda by the International Astronomical Union in 1930. That's why the most prominent star in Andromeda forms one corner of the famous asterism known as the Great Square of Pegasus and why its name is Arabic for Navel of the Horse. Rather than forming Pegasus' belly, Alphiritz marks the top of Andromeda's head. The brilliant star is a binary system 97 light years away. Its primary component, a blue-white subgiant, shines 240 times more brightly than the sun, while its fainter companion, a white dwarf, shines 10 times more brightly. The system formed around the time the dinosaurs died out, with the subgiant Alphiritz A making its appearance 60 million years ago, and the dwarf Alphiritz B appearing 70 million years ago. Andromeda's second brightest star, Mirak, can be found on her left hip. Its name is fittingly derived from the Arabic word miras, which means girdle. Mirak is a red giant located about 200 light years away. While its actual luminosity is 1,900 times brighter than the sun's, its apparent magnitude is slightly less than Alpharetz's, which makes it the second brightest star in Andromeda to us. Mirak happens to land nearly perfectly in line with the faintly visible dwarf galaxy NGC 404, which has led to the galaxy being nicknamed the Ghost of Mirak. The third brightest star in Andromeda, Almach, serves as the princess's left foot. Unlike the previous two, Almach's name doesn't have to do with where it's located. Rather, it comes from the Arabic word for the Karakal, which is a type of desert lynx. It's a multiple star system found 350 light years away. Its primary component is a golden yellow giant 2,000 times the brightness of the sun. Its secondary component is a triple star system formed by the white dwarf orbiting a pair of blue-white dwarfs that are locked in their own orbit. Within this triple system, the white dwarf completes an orbit with the two blue-white dwarfs once every 63 years, while all three complete an enormous orbit with Almach's golden yellow giant once every 4,748 years. Perhaps impressed by the star's golden allure and its easy visibility in the night sky, Isaac Asimov decided to set one of his foundation stories on a fictional planet orbiting the star a planet he called Gamma Andromeda 5. The constellation's fourth brightest star, a binary system 105 light years distant that's comprised of an orange-red giant and a white dwarf, may be found on Andromeda's left shoulder, but doesn't have a name beyond the designation Delta Andromedae. Andromeda's fifth brightest star does have a name, Nimbus. Though no one's really sure where it came from or what it means, the name first appeared in the 5th century in Johann Bayer's star atlas, Uranometria. As with any number of Andromeda's other stars at various points in time, 
Nimbus's assignment in Andromeda was jeopardized when Bayer proposed moving it into neighboring Perseus. Two centuries later, the first astronomer royal of England, John Flamsteed, moved Nimbus back into Andromeda, and its placement there was made official by the International Astronomical Union in 1930. Nimbus is an orange giant 169 light years away and is located opposite Almach as the princess's right foot. Skipping a few of Andromeda's less interesting stars on the brightness scale, we come to her 10th brightest star, Titoin. Found right about where Andromeda's left knee would be, Titoin is a binary system made up of a yellow-white dwarf and a red dwarf just 44 light years away from us. Titoin is orbited by four Jupiter-sized planets and was the 21st on the list of target stars to study in NASA's Terrestrial Planet Finder mission, the purpose of which was to learn more about the surfaces and atmospheres of exoplanets and to look for evidence of life on them, past or present. But sadly, lack of funding led to the mission being canceled in 2011. While we may not know as much as we would like to about Tidewind's planets, the star's name is tenuously connected with a different, fictional planet we do know a lot about. The word Tidewind means sources in the North African language of Berber, and has served as the basis for the names of a couple different cities down here on Earth. One such city is Tatooine of Tunisia, which you'll easily recognize as the filming location for the cantina Mos Eisley in the first Star Wars film. George Lucas ended up borrowing the city's name for the planet that is home to both Mos Eisley and the Skywalker family, Tatooine, spelled differently. Tidewind's own planets were recently named after the 10th and 11th century astronomers of Muslim Spain in 2015. Andromeda's brightest stars aren't the only objects of interest in the constellation's vicinity for amateur astronomers and casual skywatchers. The constellation also houses the nearest spiral galaxy to the Milky Way, the Andromeda Galaxy. At a distance of two and a half million light years, the Andromeda Galaxy isn't quite close enough for us to know if we have any neighbors living around one of its one trillion plus stars but it is close enough to be seen in the night sky without the aid of a telescope, especially during autumn and winter. The galaxy shows up as a hazy oval patch larger in diameter than a full moon. It's the farthest object from the Earth that is visible to the naked eye. The Andromeda galaxy formed about 10 billion years ago and has changed in size and shape from colliding with and consuming any number of other smaller galaxies over the millennia. Andromeda is actually about to the same mass as the Milky Way, but appears much larger as far-flung stars and debris stretch its diameter to 220,000 light-years versus the Milky Way's diameter of 105,000 light-years. While Andromeda has quite a few more stars than us, over a trillion versus the Milky Way's 200 to 400 billion, we have it beat when it comes to more active star formation. Surrounding Andromeda are about 40 satellite galaxies. Astronomers are undecided as to whether they should include the Triangulum galaxy as one of Andromeda's satellites. Triangulum is the third largest galaxy in the local group after the Milky Way and Andromeda, and it contains about 40 billion stars. Andromeda's gravity has already pulled several stars from Triangulum into its own count, and will completely take over this very large, maybe satellite, in about 2 billion years. Triangulum is far from the only galaxy in Andromeda's path, though. In fact, 
The Milky Way's gravity is gradually reeling Andromeda in on a path of collision at the perfectly glacial pace of 68 miles per second. That puts our collision with Andromeda right on track for four and a half billion years from today. Milkomita, as the tabloids are already calling what's sure to be the universe's greatest supercouple since Hiddleswift, will be millions of years in the making once the merge has begun. As for what will become of the Earth in this great collision, we won't be around to find out since our planet will have long since ceased to be habitable due to its atmospheric conditions turning extreme enough to literally melt the surface. By then, humanity will hopefully have figured out a way to planet top, enabling us to cross galaxies and colonize far worlds, propagating throughout the universe our finest art, literature, and, well, celebrity culture. Even if we were still on Earth when the merge happens, there wouldn't be much danger of stars from Andromeda catastrophically smashing into our planet, or the sun, given how very far apart stars are spread out in space. As the saying goes, there's a lot of space in space. Now there's a chance Andromeda's black hole, which is 25 times the size of our own, will sweep through our solar system, swallowing it whole on its way to taking over our galactic nucleus, or that comets from the Oort cloud will be thrown our way by shockwaves. But again, we'll be well out of the area by then. There's no need to panic on behalf of our descendants four and a half billion years from now. In all likeliness, Milkomita will be a perfectly peaceful and most certainly visually spectacular event. In the meantime, we can admire the Andromeda galaxy and its correlating constellation from a happy distance, and wonder whether we might have neighbors after all over yonder in the direction of a certain starry princess who are wondering the very same about us. We'll see you next time on Settle the Stars. In the meantime, happy terraforming. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Big Picture Science and Everything Everywhere Daily. Thanks for listening. Get ready to geek out. The Wired Science Podcast explores all the latest and greatest in science, everything from strange diseases and biological breakthroughs to interesting tech and mysteries in outer space. Listen to Wired Science today wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wired Science wherever you get your podcasts.